Don't even think about anybody coming for you. Not the doctors, not your agent, not your family, because I never called them. Nobody knows you're here, and you better hope nothing happens to me. Because if I die, you die. Hey yo, welcome back friends to episode 25, part two of another thrilling edition of hopefully your favorite podcast, In Madness Pod. It's Sean the Butcher here with Vertebrae 33. How's it going? Sean, I'm feeling a little oogie, you dirty birdie. How are Mr. You? Man, I'm great. I'm great. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. If you've been listening along for the last year and month and a half, or if you're a brand new listener and this is your first experience within Madness Pod, welcome to the family. You can follow us on the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, threads at in Madness Pod. Hit us in the mail sack, inmadnesspod at gmail.com. We want to hear your thoughts about any of the previous either movies we've covered or point fives that we've done with cool guests in between shout outs to miss cherry delight for recently being on the show subscribe to the youtube give us that five star review smash those like buttons subscribe to the in madness spotify playlist we are adding pretty much new music from every single episode we added tool sober from our fire in the sky episode because travis walton looked like somebody out of a tool video um <laughs> happy in madness monday if you are listening when this new episode premieres brand new episodes every single monday make sure you tell your friends spread the madness we want this family to grow and i'm having a great time even though we are in a very claustrophobic situation right now we are trapped in annie's house we are noticing that we are being cared for by a very sick sad and unfortunate individual who i do feel for at times mm -hmm. because i feel she has very relatable qualities at moments sometimes <clears throat> it's uh what do they say when like those the videos on instagram when the internal thoughts take over you know yeah. and, like people do things or say things that they think but they shouldn't do any kind of acts on it all absolutely um, and i love Listen, Sean, I love staying inside as much as the next person does and not going anywhere. But this may be the first time we've encountered a situation here on the podcast where I'm like, no, I don't want to stay inside there at all. That's I want to get out. Let's go to a show. Let's go to a movie. Let's go have dinner somewhere. Let's go roller skating. Let's do anything. Although roller skating would be painful for, for Paul. Um, you know, it's interesting, too, before we jump back in, um, I guess Paul is a likable character it's very interesting how we sort of we don't get anything he's not a hero in this but we don't get anything that tells us they don't sway it like he's a sleazeball kind of guy and it's okay that this is happening to him i have one favorite likable most likable character in the movie and it's buster Mm -hmm. yes he's the one i feel the most for and feel the worst for and like yeah yeah Poor boss. But I mean, Paul Paul Sheldon, right? He's I guess he's divorced and has a for, kid. Yeah, for so, a main yeah. character, I really I wasn't. I mean, you sympathize for the terrible situation he's in, but I don't know. I felt for Buster more than I felt for Paul Sheldon. Maybe mm -hmm. that makes me an asshole. No, I mean, I think we're supposed to have some sympathy for Annie in a way too. In, in I do because she she's got a lot of problems and there's no official backstory on her although um you know rob reiner noted that their kind of informal backstory is that she was definitely abused as a child 
and that sort of led to what's going on here and the you know if you have an unhappy life and you're going through things you often use fantasy you know to recede into fantasy and to create your other uh situations in your mind to help you get through it and you might do that as a kid but then as you get older you find other way other coping mechanisms for something traumatic like that and annie hasn't found any other coping mechanisms and the world is moving forward with the use of foul language and and all this other stuff and she's not she's stayed put in, in that way um but yeah and we're starting to get her tell us that some other stuff has happened in her past so and we're going to find out about more of that now but we should probably jump in so our our buddy doesn't complain that we're talking too much in, in our fire <laughs> in the sky episode my coping mechanism was mortal Kombat on genesis when i had a runaway because i was unable to watch fire in the sky but mm -hmm. to just quickly recap from our previous misery episode our writer paul sheldon has been in a car accident he's been rescued by an adoring fan annie who ends up being a bit of a psychopath no one knows where paul is his legs are broken and destroyed she's nursing him back to health but also shows some very very strange sides of herself. She makes him Torch's book because he killed the main character who Annie is obsessed with. So she's making him write another book while he's recovering in her house. She also seems to be madly in love with him. Buster, the police officer, is currently on the hunt to find Paul Sheldon. Mm -hmm. We cut the Buster back in the chopper, flying through the air, looking for Paul's wrecked car and flying over the same spot he was at where he fell waist deep in snow in our previous episode, Buster in shock looks through his binoculars and there it is Paul's car. We cut to the car being hauled in the air out of the snow. A policeman is talking to the press saying the presumption is that Paul Sheldon is dead. He somehow managed to crawl out of this vehicle, but we are unable to find his body anywhere near the accident. If anybody found him, they would have taken him to a hospital. He is undoubtedly buried out there in the snow. We'll find him after the first fall. That is unless the animals get to him first, which is a possibility. <laughs> yeah hilarious yes yeah, is the first fall so they're just waiting for the snow to melt away in the hope of finding this is a really funny part in, in the film in a film that's gonna make a turn very soon soon to 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 the horrific this is a pretty funny little quirky rob reiner type part with the um with the media and everything it's like the cop in fire in the sky when travis walt went missing is like nah it's too late we'll wait till tomorrow morning yeah, it's okay. Or this is like the goofy cops in that one Halloween movie that they would always play, like the sound effects With around the big them. drum, boom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we cut the Buster checking out the Primarchs and the door. His wife asks, you don't think he's dead? He says, he might very well be, but not the way they say. He didn't crawl out by himself. Someone pulled him out. Hmm. Cut, cut the Paul in bed in the other room. We hear Annie watching Jeopardy. Paul makes a little dime bag out of a piece of paper from his notepad. He takes the pills <clears throat> from out of his pants and begins cracking them open and dumping the contents of the pill into this little baggie he made. We cut the poor Paul just staring at his typewriter. Like, is this for real right now? Am I about to rewrite a whole ass new story? He begins typing away. What is he typing? Fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> he, he rips the paper out and begins typing. And then later in the day, he's still feverishly typing away. I guess he's into it now. Mm -hmm. in walks annie and she's mad already 
handing him a stack of papers he's written. Sorry, this is all wrong. You have to do it over. It's not worthy of you, except the part where you name the grave digger after me. You can keep that. <laughs> he appreciates a criticism, but thinks she's being too hasty. She tells him he's what he's written is unfair. When she grew up in Bakersfield, her favorite thing ever did was to go to the movies. Her favorite was Rocket Man. She goes on to tell this whole story how Rocket Man was trapped in a car, going off a cliff. He attempted to escape. The car went off the cliff before he could escape, and it crashed and burned, and she was so upset and excited. Then the next week, they always start with the end of the last week, and there's Rocket Man trying to escape. And just before the cliff, he jumps free, and all the kids cheer. But I didn't cheer. I stood up and shouted, this isn't what happened last week. Have you all got amnesia? They cheated us. It isn't fair. He didn't get out of the cock-a-duty car. <laughs> Paul looking at her like she's nuts, telling her they always cheated that way. She tells him, yeah, but not you, not with misery. She tells him this obsessive story about how the last book ended and says misery was buried in the ground. So you'll have to start there. Cut to later after a long snowstorm. There's Annie proofreading what he's got. He says they're frustrated. He asks if it's fair, and she loves it. Misery was buried alive because of a bee sting and put her in a coma. Annie goes on and on about how much she loves it and wants to read each chapter and begs him to tell her more. He says she's going to have to wait. She's so happy and wants to fill a house with love and runs off to play her Liberace records. She asks if Paul likes Liberace. He says he was front row at Radio City to see him, but I'm sure he probably wasn't. <laughs> and in the book, it, they they call it, uh, Stephen King refers to the gotta, like gotta have it. So she, Paul starts to realize internally that he can string her along with this book and he's actually getting a little bit of power over her. With, with this book that he's writing because she's just so into it and he quickly loses a lot of that power but he thinks for a few moments that he can just you know maybe be in control of this situation and where is he gonna end up there's a lot of dialogue about does does he write this and she loves it and kills him does he write it and then she he just has to be forever stuck there in the house right writing these books over and over just for an audience of one uh, none of that, none of that is clear because clearly she wouldn't be happy with it ever being over. So I don't know what he, where he thinks he's headed, but at least he's formulating his plan. He's saving the drugs in his little pouch and he's stringing her along long enough to accumulate enough drugs probably to execute his plan. He asked Annie to, uh, Annie to have dinner with him to celebrate Misery's return. I couldn't have done it without you. She stares at him lovingly and tells him it would be an honor. Cut to Buster's wife at the police station on the phone with some man saying she doesn't know where Buster is, probably out having an affair. <laughs> Buster walks in with the bag. She hands him the phone and says the man on the line wants to know who you're having an affair with. Buster's chatting with the man as his wife is pulling all the Misery books out of the bag Buster just brought in. He he tells her he doesn't know who Paul is, but wants to know what he writes about. She asks if he thinks he wrote about a man who drove his car off a cliff. And Buster says her sarcasm keeps the marriage spicy. Cut to Annie and Paul having dinner. Paul is flirting, telling her she looks nice. They eat. They toast to misery. Right before they drink, he asks her for candles. She gets up and goes to the another room and he pours his little dime baggie full of her drugs into her wine glass. She comes back, lights the candle, they toast, and of course, she knocks over a candle. 
And when she goes to put it out, of course, she spills her cup of wine all over the table. Paul is devastated and they toast to misery. What an intense scene. This whole this whole scene, you want him, you're rooting for him. You want him to be able to pull this off. I, I'm always curious, like if she did drink. I feel like that, she knew that wine. Maybe, maybe, but like if she, she did, what was his plan after that? How's he gonna get out of there? So he's just gonna maybe crawl to the car in the snow, and then he has to use his legs to to do the pedals right that's but um it just stays there with her dead until he heals up enough to go somewhere else or somebody else shows up but um yeah that's just that you feel so bad for him he thought he had a good plan and it just falls apart we cut to a little montage. Paul's typing. Annie's reading, petting her pig, also named Misery. We see Buster by his fireplace reading Misery. Chapters and days are flying by. Annie says it's some of his best work. We see him feverishly typing away. And briefly, we see him lifting the typewriter above his head. He seems to be wrapping up the book. We hear the typewriter ding, and immediately lightning strikes outside. It's mm. pouring. We see Paul essentially working out using the typewriter, lifting it above his head like they're weights. And he mm -hmm. walks in and he carefully puts it down. She walks in looking miserable, throws his pills on the table and walks away. He asks if she's okay. She says the rain gives her the blues. She tells Paul when he arrives she loved his writing, but now she's in love with him. She says she knows he doesn't love her. He's brilliant and famous, and she's not a movie star type. She says, you'll never know the feeling of losing someone like you if you're someone like me. Mm. That is the opening of a Knocked Loose song called Road 23 on the album A Different Shade of Blue, which I will now add to the In Madness playlist. Shoutouts to Knock Loose. Shoutouts to Kentucky represent. Paul asks why she'd lose him. She says, book's almost finished. You're healing. Soon you'll leave. He says he likes it there. She says he's kind, but she bets he's not telling the truth. And then she pulls a gun out of her pocket. Hmm. She pulls the trigger. It's empty. She says sometimes she thinks about using it. I'd better go now. I might put some bullets in it. Hmm. Oof, that is the hardest. That is the hardest. Yeah. Paul looks terrified and he goes outside in the pouring rain, gets in her car and drives off. Cut to Paul in the kitchen, grabs the biggest knife he can find. <laughs> Cut to Buster in bed with his wife reading misery. He's reading out loud. His wife's like, what? Very interested. He says, they're hauling misery into court. His <laughs> wife could care less. She says, that's nice. Buster makes a note in the book. There is a justice higher than that of man. I will be judged by him. Mm. cut to paul strolling through the house stops when he sees a book open i love that you said strolling <laughs> i didn't even do that yes i did he stops when he sees a book open with a news article clipping saying paul sheldon presumed dead he looks through and sees more articles he closes the book and it's the memory lane book from our previous episode he opens it back up and starts at the beginning pics of annie as a child next page newspaper article local banker dies carl wilkes mm -hmm. plunges to death uh, Oh, next page, top nursing student falls to her death. Oh, next page, Annie Wilkes nursing school honors. Next page, uh, another article, Annie Wilkes to head intensive care unit. Next to it, our obituaries and an article that says use car king suffers fatal stroke while at hospital. Next few pages, vet P 
pediatrician dies in coma in local hospital. Wilkes named County's head maternity nurse. Uh oh. Mm. Next page, baby Lucy dies after five week struggle in hospital. Another one reads, second newborn dead at County Memorial. Oh no. Another reads, nurse questioned in hospital infant deaths a few pages later maternity nurse behind bars and there she is looking angrily as hell annie wilkes dragon lady arrested in recent baby deaths paul is in deep shit yeah and this is she mentions in the novel that these babies don't have souls yet anyway so she's sort of doing the work you know the lord's work in a lot of ways and there's more stuff about older people that she sort of thinks she's putting uh for lack of a better word out of their misery um but yeah this is i mean depraved anything she's gotten in her life she's gotten by like killing somebody to get them out of the way so it's her father and then it's you know she probably ends up with this home and you know, she gets these jobs based off of white, you know, nursing student. Maybe they were in the way of her getting some sort of award or other position or internship. And she's just clearing the lane by killing them off and then doing the, you know, really wild thing after that, with keeping a scrapbook of it. It's essentially keeping all evidence of her as this person in one clear. This is a dream, Sean. These detective stories that i love so much if it was all just in one book that the killer kept well themselves. they do say i mean every serial killer book i mean i heard i heard ted bundy used to keep like licenses they all keep like a thing yeah they all they all have a box of things that just that yeah completely implicates them in the crime yeah yeah it's wild it's wild and this is super intense because he's out of his enclosure so to speak and you know, then he sees this awful news. And again, remind ourselves, he can't go anywhere. He can't get out of the house. He can't do anything. There's no vehicle there. There's no neighbors nearby. Super intense. Isolated in horror. He's laying in bed. He's practicing his move. He's got his arm in the sling. And quickly, he whips <laughs> out the knife. He keeps practicing. And he comes back home. She approaches Paul's door, stands in front of it, but doesn't enter. She goes in her room and puts on the TV. Paul takes out the knife out of the sling, puts it in between his mattress and says, see you in the morning. Mm. Paul passes out, wakes up groggy, looks to his left, and boom, there's Annie looking pissed. And the thunder cracks and the lightning shines off her face. She is right. in villain mode. Right, this is our jump scare. This is a big jump scare in this movie. It gets me every time I see it. She grabs Paul's arm, injects him with a needle. He passes out and she leaves. He wakes up in a daze and there's Annie strapping this dude to the bed. She tells him she knows he's been leaving his room. We get a shot of her looking down, speaking to him, and we can see his hand creeping between the mattress looking for the knife. And she goes, uh, she always keeps her little ceramic penguin pointing due south. We see him fumbling for the knife, and she pulls the knife out and says, is this what you're looking for? Uh-oh. Hmm. She then so shows him she found the hair clip he used to pick the lock. She knows he saw her scrapbook. She tells him, it's okay. It's so clear. 
She realizes that he needs more time. Soon he'll accept the idea of being there. She asks Paul if he knows of the early days of the Kimberly Diamond Mines. You know what they did to the workers who stole diamonds? They didn't kill them. They had to make sure they kept on working, but also that they wouldn't run away. The operation was called hobbling. And this, my friends, stealing your line brings you to my milking of the alpacas and easily the most famous scene in this film. Um, and never duplicated since. And in a movie that gets Academy Award nominations and stuff, this is a pretty horrific scene to be in that film. This crazy bitch takes a piece of wood and puts it between his strapped up feet by the ankles. He begs her not to do whatever she's going to do. Slowly, she lifts a goddamn sledgehammer. He begs her not to, and she says, it's what's best. And sledges this dude's ankle, turning it, his whole foot and ankle, 90 degrees. He screams in agonizing pain. She says, don't worry, just one more. She goes the other foot and she gives it the business as well. And Paul is fucked, screaming in pain. Oh. The camera zooms in on Annie's face and she says, God, I love you. Oh, and this, you know, it's funny about this scene is you, you would swear that you saw her hit both ankles but you don't it's only one and then they kind of cut away but we fill in the rest with our brains and they on the eli roth's history of horror they kind of go into it a little one of the guys who worked on the visual effects greg uh, i'm gonna i don't know how to say his name and nick Nicotero, Greg Nicotero. Nicotero, yeah, yeah. He he's goes like into, famous, yeah. Yeah, he's super famous, so I look like an idiot by not being able to pronounce his name, but that's okay. Um, he goes into this uh, scene, and he says, here, the quote is, so the way we designed that scene, we made these fake legs out of gelatin with PVC pipe in them, with hinges in the ankle, and we had a cable on them so that we could pull the cable when she swings a sledgehammer. And they used a real sledgehammer so that when she picked it up, there was kind of some heft to it. Um, and, you know, although this is the most famous scene in the film, it's different in the book because in the book, she takes an axe and cuts his foot off. Oh! So she cuts his foot off and then she cauterizes the wound and like burns the stump. And and they go into the smell and everything in the book, but so that is, I had and, no idea. Yeah, that was a debate on how they were going to do this, and eventually, you know, uh, pe certain people didn't want to do it, and um, they kind of decided to do it. In the end, everybody admitted that it was the right. It was the right choice. I think. I think a lot of ways, what she did in the film is is more horrific. And I think it would have been just kind of too much to worry about and clean up for later on. Um, and we cut away, we see some of it, but we don't see all of it. And I think that adds to it. But yeah, there was certainly a big debate. I'm so curious if anyone, you know, the book comes out in 87 and the movie comes out in 90. And these Stephen King books were at that time being just scooped up as soon as they were being written, people wanted to option them out. So it's not like a book where it's sitting around and people read it when they read it. 
it's like probably 1987. That was probably one of the biggest books that came out that year. And like everybody read it. So everybody knows this part already. And then when they get to the film, you know, it, it it's changed. And this is well before social media. But I'm sure if that was now, everybody would be ranting and raving about how. I can't believe it. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. But in this way, you know, much like. And when we get to it, The Shining book and The Shining film are completely different. But I love both of them for different reasons this book and the movie are not completely different but there's some aspects like that that's a major scene that's different and i'm kind of fine with both ways and i i'm actually pretty okay with not having a scene of her cauterizing a wound in the film so that's okay but yeah this is one of the most iconic scenes in a major studio thriller i would say incredible it's very well done yeah and like i i wish i could hear the audience reaction to that right yeah yeah it was uh it was a lot i know when i saw it uh i already knew it was coming there was just no way to and again watch the trailer you get everything in the trailer but there was no hiding it the buzz the buzz was there so um and everybody was sort of ready for it and everyone has an idea of what it is and when you ask them they describe it and they always describe it more than it actually is in the scene but our brain just kind of fills it in we swear we saw her hit that second ankle but we don't actually see it we cut to annie driving to town she's right outside buster's police station and almost collides with another car she loudly hunks her horn which gets buster's attention he looks out the window and sees annie get out of the car and yell you caca duty buster sort of gets excited and runs outside to watch annie she pulls up and goes to a shop next to the police station and buster looks like he's got an idea his wife is going through papers all over his desk and he yells at her to leave it he starts fumbling through the papers how many times do i have to tell you i have a system here He's asking for a thing. What thing? The thing. And then he yanks out his little post-it note, the paper that says there, right where it should be. Oh, he's like there, right where it should be. She asks what it is. And Buster says, he's not sure. It might be nothing. His wife says she's glad he found it then. And then he says, there's that spice again. (laughs) They have a great dynamic, those two. Yeah. Buster heads to the library. He's looking through these enormous books and sees an article about dead babies. He digs further and sees Annie's angry picture in an old newspaper. Other articles call her the dragon lady and that she says she claims innocence. Buster zooms in on a quote. Annie told reporters on courthouse steps, there is a justice higher than that of man and I will be judged by him. And on top of it, Buster lays down the note he wrote to himself in bed with the exact same quote. Annie pulls back up to her house. Paul is staring at his broken feet. Annie is outside with the pig, and she says, Hi, pumpkin. Happily mm. to Paul, who looks out the window angrily and flips her the bird. And she goes, Oh, you're such a kidder. <laughs> Buster walks into a local shop to talk to the clerk. He says, If there's any new Paul Sheldon books, they had a batch that sold out in three days. Buster asks if Miss Wilkes bought one. The clerk says, Anytime Paul puts out a new book, she has me set aside the first copy. Buster asks if she's been acting odd lately. Clerk says she's been the same. The clerk says she did buy a bunch of paper, typing paper. Buster says, Nothing odd about that, and leaves. And the clerk asks if she's done something, and Buster says, We'll see. Hmm. Now Buster is hauling ass to Annie. Oh, man. Mm. 
Paul looks out the window and sees Buster's truck pulling up on the property immediately angrily walks in. Uh, Annie, she walks in with a shot, injects Paul. He's trying to choke her, but he passes out. She wheels him away as Buster's approaching. She's mad at Paul. She cooks for him. I tend to you. I fight. Uh, I uh, I tend to you and you fight me. When will you trust me? And she's carrying Paul down to the basement. Buster pulls up, goes to knock on the door, and Annie tears it open and acts surprised to see him. Buster asks about Paul, and he gives Paul's entire life history rundown. Buster says Paul has been missing for quite some time. She stops him and says she's his number one fan. She has all his books. Mm. She's so proud of her collection. Buster smiles, and she nervously invites him in. He asks if he can look around a bit. She says, of course, and begins talking about the big car accident, how it almost killed her, too. She prayed when it happened. She got down on her knees, and she begged for it not to be true. She then tells Buster he's going to laugh at what she has to say next. But when she prayed to God, he told her to be ready to be Paul's replacement. He said, since she's his number one fan, she should make up new stories as if she was him. So she went to town, bought a typewriter and paper, the same that Paul uses. And she turned the guest room into a writing studio. She has all the answers. (laughs) She's setting it up to have all the answers. She asks Buster to see it. She shows him the room and tells him she spent four weeks trying to write like Paul, but she can't do it right. It's not the same. She offers to uh, him to read what she's wrote, but it's what Paul wrote. But Buster declines. She offers him hot cocoa, and he waits for her to leave the room. He's watching her, and she's watching him. They both notice that they're watching each other and awkwardly laugh. Buster heads upstairs and begins checking out the rooms, and this was what the, had the Hitchcock psycho field when arbo mm-hmm. gassed uh the investigator walks into miss bates house and walks up the steps and starts looking around as is a very psycho feel it almost looks like the exact same layout of the house right and but a bad move on his part because like it's not that big of a house that she knows he's going she's just making him something to drink like she's going he's going he really goes for it to go up the steps i think he's hoping to run into something i i don't know what he thinks he's going to find he knows somebody took paul out of the car i don't think he could ever anticipate that she would keep him there nurse him back to health and have him write this book (laughs) that i don't think he's getting i think he's just i don't even know if he knows like he knows who she is now so but she doesn't have a history of kidnapping although she has a history of killing people so maybe he was just hoping not hoping, but thinking he might find Paul Sheldon dead. Like, I don't think he thought he'd find him captive. He opens the door. He walks in the room. He's looking around, and from behind, Annie approaches. She slowly creeps up behind Buster and scares the bejesus out of him. But it's just her grinning, holding his cocoa. He laughs and declines and leaves. She insists that he try it, because I totally feel like she probably did something to the cocoa. Yeah, and are you drinking that hot cocoa? Not if I'm investigating and finding out that she killed babies and all this stuff. No way. No way. But you're also not a hot liquid person. So do you drink hot cocoa? I would, I would, I I could, I could do a couple sips. I can't, I can't like sitting there drinking a whole cup of hot cocoa. That's like drinking a stout. Like it just sits there and I'm like, I can't no stouts, no hot cocoa. I'll do sips, (laughs) a couple sips, a couple sips. 
Uh, Buster walks out the door. Annie closes the door, and her whole face shifts from delighted to angry. Buster heads down the front steps and downstairs. Paul knocks over the barbecue that's next to him in the basement, which makes a loud noise. Buster runs back up to the front door. He heads inside, calling for Annie. Gets no response. Downstairs, Paul begins yelling, Here! I'm here! Mm. Buster... Buster finally opens the secret compartment leading down to the basement, looks down and sees Paul Sheldon. He's begging for his help. Buster says, Mr. Sheldon? And blast. Shotgun blast blows right through Buster's back out the front of his chest. My poor boy, Buster. Moment of silence. Moment of silence for Buster. And so in the book, this part is a little bit different. You like that moment of silence? It's good. That was good. People listening in their car be like, why'd they get so quiet here? Is there a problem? Did he's my favorite character in the whole movie. Yeah, he was dead awful. now. Yeah. So it's a little different in the book because it breaks this up into a couple parts. So a trooper shows up at the house and uh paul sheldon throws some sort of i think it's an ashtray or something out the window and breaks the window so the trooper is wondering what's going on but he's there with a picture of him showing him to her and then annie kills the trooper by stabbing him with a makeshift cross that was on the grave of some animal that had passed i think maybe one of the other pigs that she had or something and then proceeds to run him over with a ride-on lawnmower Oh my God. So, so we get that depravity. He ends up in the cellar where he's at now later on in the book. And the, the grill is there. They call it like a barbecue pit or whatever in the book is there as well. And that's a plot device too, that we, you know, we see in a little bit, but um, yeah. And I think he's, I think she, the trooper she kills and runs over the mower. I think she throws it down in the basement too. So it's down there with Paul at one point as well, the body and everything. Um, she also just to throw this in there at one point in the book cuts off his thumb, puts it on a birthday cake, bring, brings it to him. And then um, if he promises to be good, he doesn't have to eat the special candle which is his thumb yeah Ugh. Twist. Yeah, so he's he's missing a thumb and a foot and after this is over that's brutal <laughs> there's annie standing behind buster holding the shotgun buster is laying dead on the steps Annie tells paul not to feel bad it was going to happen sooner or later it's a sign i've known why i was chosen to save you you and i were meant to be together forever now our time in this world must end mm. uh oh she says, don't worry, I've prepared for what miss must be done. I put two bullets in my gun, one for you, one for me. Darling, it'll be so beautiful. She walks out of the basement. She comes back to the top of the steps with a needle in one hand, a gun in the other. And she says, don't worry, I love you. And Paul says, I love you too. And she stops in her tracks. He tells her they are meant to be together and I must die so that misery can live. We have the power to give misery eternal life. We must finish the book and he says the time is now soon others will come paul says the book is almost finished we need to give misery back to the world and he heads back upstairs out of the basement paul shoves the can of gas to light the barbecue in the back of his pants and annie says she'll make him something to eat hmm. 
we cut to Paul typing. He's finishing the story. We see what he's typing. And now I notice it that none of the words in the story have the letter N because the N is missing on the typewriter. It's pretty funny. Yeah. And I think in the book, they kind of have him. He's going to promise us to go back in and just sort of like handwrite them in and, and, and fill them in. But yeah. Annie bursts in the door saying she's dying to know which guy misery is going to end up with. He tells her she'll know very soon. He says he just started the last chapter and when he's finished, he'd like everything to be perfect. He'll need three things. She asks what three things and he asks if she doesn't know, but of course she knows he needs a cigarette because he used to smoke, but he quit except for when he finishes a book, just one and the match to light it. And one glass of champagne, Dom Perignon, which I think she calls Dom Perignon because that's how it's. Yeah. <laughs> she leaves the lighted. Paul continues on with the book. He calls for Annie because he's almost done. She's beyond excited to find out which suitor will claim misery's heart. And he sets up the cigarette and the match and the champagne and next to it, her loaded gun, which she puts in her pocket. She walks into the room and Paul finishes typing. She asks if she did good. He says, perfect, except for one thing. She seems to get upset, but then he says, this time we'll need two glasses. Mm. She thinks this is so romantic and runs out to get it. Get it. Paul rips the paper out of the typewriter, throws a stack of papers on the floor, soaks it with gas. And he walks in and there's Paul standing with a crumpled paper doused with gasoline, holding the match. And he stops in shock. Paul says, you know how all these years no one knew who Misery's father was or if they'd ever be reunited. He shows her the crumpled paper and says, it's all right here. Who will Misery finally marry? And he is looking on in shock. He says, it's all right here. He lights the match with his finger and sets the page on fire. And Annie screams, you can't mm. and drops the champagne glass. He says, why not? I learned it from you and dumps it on the stack of papers and burns it all. And he is crying, running towards a stack of papers on the floor, screaming, not my misery. And we see Paul lift the typewriter and smash Annie on the head. And now we know what he was training for. He was training for this this exact moment. They go into it a little bit in the novel that he's been sort of dreaming about smash, smashing her in the head with this heavy typewriter. So uh, this, if this was now, they'd have to change it a little bit, right? Because he would just be like, it would just be like an iPad, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't do anything, or just yeah. a, like a like a light like laptop's not going to really do anything. But this typewriter is going to do some damage. Heavy duty. He knocks her out. Her sleeve gets set on fire. She gets up and the two begin fighting. And he breaks her no cursing rule and says, I'm going to kill you, you lying cocksucker. Mm. Smashes his head through a window. He digs his fingers into her eyes and pops her in the nose, knocking her on the floor. She takes out her gun and shoots him in the shoulder. Mm. He spears her like Goldberg and knocks her around on the floor, firing off another shot. The two are on the floor fighting, and Paul reaches in the smoldering remains of the book and says, you want it? Eat it, you sick, twisted fuck. Oh, and then, you know, this, keep in mind when you're watching this, um, they do a lot of these stunts themselves. These are very awkward days on the set with them fighting each other and and setting it up that made a lot of people really uncomfortable. And there was a, you know, some tension between how Kathy Bates operates and how James Kahn does 
when they're acting. So there was some weirdness and there James Conn is just stuck in a bed. I think Rob Reiner jokes that every day he would tell him all oh, like the, you know, might have just fill me in a bed for a little bit today, but like it was scene after scene where he's just in this bed. So I think Con, uh, James Conn one day showed up on set, like so super hungover that he, <laughs> that he, they shot a bunch of stuff and then like none of it worked. So they just had to re the whole day was scrapped and had to Oof. reshoot it. So I think there's definitely, already tension and then we're having them do a lot of this like fight scene stuff which i think adds to it i'm not saying james con wanted to hurt her or kathy bates wanted to hurt him but there's already kind of uncomfortable feelings on the set and then we're having this really intense and i don't know how they shot this film like whether this was late in the shooting that they did the ending certainly the first scene of the film they remark was the exact first scene that they filmed which is pretty cool. Um, but I'd like to think I always thought, oh, well, they always film the end. When I was younger, I always thought, oh, you film the end of the movie like at the end. And then I realized, okay, that's not it. They're scheduling shots out and they have locations at certain times to film. But um, there's a lot of intensity in the scene and we're getting to it with the paper and the what what happens next with that is this is a pretty intense fight scene for this thriller. He's shoving these burnt papers into her mouth till she knees him in the nads, knocking him off her. She gets up to run, but Paul picks up his legs with his hands and trips her and knocks her head first onto the typewriter on the floor. And we get this sick shot of her face making impact off the typewriter. Mm -hmm. She lays there unconscious. Paul is relieved. He begins crawling out of the room and from behind, of course, because they never die that easy. And he <laughs> jumps on his back screaming. He bites her hand, grabs her by the hair, uh, pulls her off, and he begins crawling to this giant paperweight on the floor that has what looks like misery, the pig on it. Paul is reaching for it, grabs it, and bashes her in the face with it. She falls on top of him, dead, beaten, bloody. Paul shoves her off and the camera fades to black. Mm. And we don't get in the book, we get uh police finding him in the in the house and how horrific he looked when they found him. And um he's certainly a different person because he's missing a foot and missing a thumb. And um we uh, also goes into a lot of the fact that he even after she's dead, he kind of thinks she's still alive and he sees her at certain points in his life and has a lot of post-traumatic stress in that um, throughout. And it's, it's pretty intense, but this ending is pretty <clears throat> wild here too. Cut to a shot of the city. It's 18 months later. Paul's walking down the street with a cane. He gets handed a book, The Higher Education of J. Philip Stone, a novel by Paul Sheldon. He's with his agent, Miss Sindel. She tells him it's the first copy, and she hears the Times Review is going to be a love letter. Paul says that'll be a first. She says her contacts at Times and Newsweek are both raves. He says, great. She thought he'd be thrilled. He's finally being taken seriously. He says he's glad critics like it. He hopes the people like it, but I wrote it for me. He says, in some ways, Annie Wilkes and the whole experience helped me. His agent asked him about writing a nonfiction book about what went on in the house. Paul says, if I didn't know better, I'd think you were asking me to relive the worst horror of my life just so we can make a few bucks. He looks over and around the corner comes Annie. 
Mm-hmm. She's pushing the dessert cart. Miss Sindel says, I thought you were over it. Paul says, I don't know if anyone can ever totally get over something like that. It's weird. Even though I know she's dead, I still think about her once mm-hmm. in a while. And we see Annie approaching and picks up a large knife. Then Paul snaps out of it. And it's the lady who works there smiling with the dessert cart. The lady says, excuse me, I don't mean to bother you, but are you Paul Sheldon? He says, yes. And she says, I just want to tell you I'm your number one fan. Mm-hmm. Paul smiles and says, that's very sweet of you. And his smile fades to sort of a disgusted smirk. Roll credits. The end. Yeah. And so he he writes that book, Sean. I'm gonna. I'm going out on a limb. That book's a hunk of crap that he wrote after. Garbage that. has to be. What? That's not the book that anybody wants. They no. want the book about his situation. Absolutely want that book. This is him getting artsy fartsy and writing whatever whatever he wants to write. And there's just you know that's not what anybody wants to hear from that guy. In in the novel, in the original novel, he doesn't burn the manuscript he burns some papers with the title page and sort of hides it. And so they release that book. They release the misery book that he wrote. And it's obviously a huge success and that they, they still want him to publish what happened, but he doesn't want to, cause he's so tortured by it. And just like he sees Annie there in the restaurant, he sees her when he enters his apartment and there's a whole situation where it's actually the cat and, you know, he's getting these traumatic experiences um, but I think this was changed because Rob Reiner is working through some stuff for himself about being coming a director after acting on All in the Family. And it's nice to be able to say, well, the artists got to make the piece of art that they really wanted to make. And they didn't have to fall back into what they wanted to get out of in the first place. And I think King writes it that way in the book to just say, I am Stephen King. Like, yeah, I want to get away from this and I want to write other things, but I am. And we know, you know, King writes under the Bachman name and stuff for a little while where people don't know it's him. Um, But the book is kind of in that way, even more sad because he's not going out to write the great American novel afterwards. He's just like, okay, I guess this is the book that has to come out. Um, They do remark that it's probably his best, his most well-written misery book although the fans of that book probably weren't going to notice or not going to care they're just going to want to figure out how misery could come back from the dead and there is parts in the novel that go into the book itself and there's passages from the book he's he's writing um but yeah i i kind of that other book that he put out is not going to be very good no not one person even the title seems just boring (laughs) sorry dude yeah uh but i love this movie it is very clever and it is very well done and it's very well shot everything with her shaking the piss over him and just like this guy it's like there's funny parts to it the buster Mm -hmm. and his wife thing you're happy you're sad you're laughing you're you're cringing it's the there's like the the twisting of the foot it's just it's got a little bit of everything and it is really good it doesn't it's not like saw and it's not like it has that same kind of tension but without all of like you can you can do it in such a 
cool, clever way without really having to. It's different types of tension, but you kind of feel it the same way. It's just the way she shot with the with the lightning off her face and it, mm-hmm. it's like she's like looking down at the camera so it's always like you're looking up at her and she's half in the shadows it's uh just brilliantly done i never read the book i have i have yet to read the book and so this is the part where i, I have to ask you a really important question oh all right so the original trailer that they do is set to little drummer boy and they talk about what Stephen King and Rob Reiner are bringing it to us for the holiday season. Oh, God. is Misery a Christmas movie? <laughs> no, I'm saying no. Okay. I'm saying because there's not even one. Is there one? Is there one no. reference to Christmas? There isn't. The there isn't. No. We just know it's cold and snowy. Does it take place over a period of seven months? Mm-hmm. Or is it longer? Mm-hmm. I don't know. They don't even. They don't even hint. They don't even hint to a, a timeline. No, because it does start to get rainy and there's not snow anymore. But then we get some snow after it. So no, I don't. I don't, know I don't think Colorado we can loop seven this. into this, and I don't think we can loop. It's not. Yeah. A, I gotta ask. Listen, we gotta ask on all of them. They put. They put little drummer boy in their trailer for this mm-hmm. film, and. You know, it's just because they're releasing it around holiday time, obviously. But I was like looking to see if there was even one decoration that was, you know, her house is nicely decorated, but I don't see any Christmas decorations. Right. And the one thing we missed is when he he's going through the house and the penguin drops when he puts it back. She points out later on that it was supposed to be pointed south. South, Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, we brought it up. We mentioned. Did we bring that up? Yeah, Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. So I missed it in my head. Too much shite. Yeah, I had too much shite. I was, you know what it was? I was like picturing the penguin compared to the book and the and the movie, because it's on a like a like a iceberg or something in the in the in the novel in the novel. The second but. he dropped it and put it back, I didn't even originally know that like what way it was, but immediately I was like, he's getting busted because of that penguin right there. Oh, yeah? yeah. So it's funny if you watch it back, you see it's facing the opposite direction of all the other, yeah, like little mm-hmm. things that are there. So, all the other knickknacks. So, in the book, it's interesting. This is the last she has this whole plan where she puts like her hair on things. So, like, if you move something or you open it, the hairs will break. Oh my god. Right? So she has them throughout the house. There's also traps. rats right? in the cellar and he talks about that and at one point in the book he's down in the cellar in the dark. She has to put him there and can't trust him and leaves him with just like a needle if he wants to take care of himself. But like he's there and he can't move and these rats are kind of coming out eating from his food tray oh and stuff like god. that. Dude. But the thread thing is the, the hair thing is really interesting. I don't know how you would do that in the movie unless you showed her like cutting pieces of her hair off like that would kind of add to it. Um, but a visual of her, you know, so she she's on that memory lane book. It There's threads on there's hairs on it. So she knows that he opened it or, you know, so, yeah, she booby trapped his the entire house. I don't think for him. I think she just did it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's like obsessive compulsive. She probably like turns light switches on a bunch when she goes in. And yeah, she's very any you. I do. You know, you do sympathize. I, I you do sympathize with her a little bit just because she's I mean, she's insane, but she's like 
clearly like needs help that she's not getting and has an anger issue which is very relatable and, and mm-hmm. has control issues and uh i mean she's just but the fact that she's just murdering babies and murdering husbands and murdering people it's just she's gone off off the deep end and i don't know how she how she living there with people not being like the dragon lady lives there they in the book they kind of know it a little bit more towards the end but in the movie it's not when when he goes when the sheriff goes to her, her house he's only going there because he connected what she said right to the to the trial and what she found and he found in his research and what was in the misery book that's the only reason he he went there it wasn't his first go to like mm-hmm. hey there's this late you know what other psychopathic murderer lives around here yeah yeah like but Maybe that's the first house you door you knock on when somebody goes. Somebody's missing. Like missing. Who do we check? Mm, the murderer? Nah. <laughs> oh, Buster. But uh, let us know what you thought of this. Is that film. all your bits? Did you get all your gnarly? I got all my in? bits in. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like there's more from the novel, but I've given away a lot away. I would recommend. I would highly recommend reading it or doing it on an Audible. The version on Audible that I listen to, the person who reads it, she is absolutely fantastic at it. Give and, her a shout out. And it's, I, I don't know her name off oh, the top okay. of my head, <laughs> but uh, there's your shout out. I don't know. But it, she's really, really good at it. If you look it up on Audible, you can listen to a sample. And I thought that was great. It seems like it'd be also like just a really easy read if you're reading it yourself. Um, it's a book, right? All these Stephen King books, and we're going to get to more Stephen King later on in this podcast, but um, not in this episode, but in general. These are iconic. We've said it before. We say it too many times, but mm-hmm. the cover of this book and the way it lives in people's minds, this is hard to beat. This is pure Stephen King right here. And what an incredible interpretation uh, by Rob Reiner and his crew. So thank you. For everyone who's listening, we appreciate it. I should give a plug and say, hey, I'm Vertebrae33, at Vertebrae33, and all the social. Uh, Check out my merch at Hot Topic. Go buy a shirt. Let me know you bought it. And I'm excited for our point five. Hell yeah. That's coming we up know next. You, we want to know what you thought about Misery Part One, Part Two, all of our previous episodes, what you thought of our Miss Cherry Delight. We were gonna it was gonna be a point five, which are usually shorter episodes. Our Miss Cherry Delight interview went an hour and a half because she is a very talented individual who is up to a lot of things and that's what we want to do on id mad is pot has put you on to cool people doing cool shit so our next point five is going to be incredibly short because that's what the point fives were meant to be in the first place but when we sometimes do these interviews they're probably going to go a little bit longer but i like having mm-hmm. nice shorties as well but let us know what you thought of any of our previous episodes or this misery episode 25 i can't believe we're 25 movies in at in madness pot on the socials twitter instagram facebook threads hit us in the mail sack it madnesspod at gmail.com subscribe to the youtube give us a five-star review give us a like follow the in madness playlist and tell your friends spread the madness worldwide we would like as many people enjoying this show as humanly possible as much as you enjoy it and as much as we enjoy doing it i'm looking forward to our next point five i really i i originally didn't have much but then all i did was a quick search and then even yesterday as far as 24 hours ago uh 
things started popping up and I'm like, oh, I definitely have to talk about this on the point five. And I'm excited for our next group of movies, which we have uh, inside baseball not even gone over yet. So <laughs> uh, after this wraps up, we're going to pick our, I guess, next three movies, which is a cool thing and possibly uh, uh, next guests we may have to interview. And uh, I can't wait to tease that on our uh, next point five episode. Awesome. Thank you guys very much. Uh, everyone be good. Dirty birdies. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs>